my faith alone.
Thank you very much, Rhonda. You've blessed us this uh, morning and this evening, both. And do you have any hearing left after that monitor kicked on? Boy, it kicked on, and it just it did that this morning to us, too. It just threw us off a little bit. We've got to get that looked at. It's done that a few times. Well, if you have your Bible, open it up to John chapter 16 with an eye to the last couple of verses of John chapter 15, because that's where we left off was John chapter 15, verse 26. And uh, we have been trying to go verse by verse to the Gospel of John and been in this for uh, quite some time now, and that's all right. What we're going to look at tonight is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to say this a couple of times, so bear with me. There is no way I can sum up the ministry of the Holy Spirit in one, in one sermon. It's just uh, not possible at all, uh, but we'll try, okay? There is nothing in the Christian life as important as learning to live life in and through and by the power of the Holy Spirit. As believers in Jesus Christ, there are some very important basics about the Holy Spirit that we need to remember and we need to understand about living life within and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And one of those is that we must learn that having the Holy Spirit in our lives is not, it's not like an extra ingredient. It's not like Parmesan on our spaghetti, okay? Thinking about spaghetti since we had spaghetti this afternoon at, at, our, at our slack. But the Holy Spirit is as essential to living the Christian life as air is to, breathe, or to living the physical life. Can any of you live without taking a breath of air? No, absolutely not. And I would say it's the same way about taking spiritual breath. We have to have the Holy Spirit. And of course, to be a born-again Christian means that we have the Holy Spirit within us. Uh, that is a part of being a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. The moment we are born again, the Holy Spirit is sent to live within us. But that does not necessarily mean that we are living life by His power or we allowing Him to fully fill our lives in His power or by His power. So we're going to look at this scripture and read through it. And I'm going to start at John chapter 15, verse 26. And go all the way through chapter 16, verse 15. It says, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Verse 1 of chapter 16. These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you, that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. Verse 5, But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. 
However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. And He will glorify Me, for He will take of what is Mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are Mine. Therefore I said that He will take of Mine and declare it to you. Now, even though we're focused on this scripture, Jesus in the Gospel of John began speaking about and instructing about the coming of the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit back in John chapter 14. Perhaps you remember a couple of weeks ago, we read over that and I said, I'm not going to talk about the Holy Spirit tonight. We're going to save that for a couple of weeks from now. And specifically, verses 16 and 17 of John chapter 14 makes this statement. He says, Jesus says to his disciples, and I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that he, my, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. And, and it is in this that we some, see some of the very important distinctives about the Holy Spirit. Again, there's no way we can sum up everything about the Holy Spirit in one sermon, or, nor does just the Gospel of John teach us everything there is to learn about the Holy Spirit. But uh, what we will do is just to attempt to cover what is in just this little bit of Scripture we read tonight. And, and the very first distinctive is this. The Holy Spirit is a gift from the Father. That's, that's something very apparent that Jesus keeps repenting, uh, repeating, not repenting, repeating over and over is that the Father sends the Holy Spirit. The Father sends the Holy Spirit, and specifically, there back in chapter 14, He calls Him a gift that He will send to us, that He will give you another helper. And that really talks about uh, this, this helper being a gift from the Father. And, and this first point is important to remember. The Holy Spirit was sent to us from the Father at the request of Jesus Christ, and the purpose of this gift of the Holy Spirit really fills in the majority of this message tonight. Because within this, this reality that the Holy Spirit is a gift from God the Father are four, are four reasons that He was sent. Four reasons that the Holy Spirit was sent for us as born-again believers into the world that we currently live in. The first one is this, and He calls Him, how many times does He say, He's a helper. Now some of your versions might call Him a comforter, and we'll talk about that label as well, but he's a, he is a helper. Uh, you know, when you think about what a helper is, I mean, even little kids can relate to this, right? If I was to ask Bill, what, who's a helper to you? Who's a, who's a helper to you, Bill? Your mama, right? That's absolutely right. Your mom is the greatest helper you probably have. Maybe your brothers or your sister, but, but really it's your mama, right? And, and so most kids can relate to this. We have a parent that is a wonderful helper to us, and they assist us in everything that we do. And, and the idea behind this word is, is not like that he's our assistant, the Holy Spirit is our assistant in that way, but that he is an advocate. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that word in just a, in just a little bit, but that as being a helper, he is someone that acts on our behalf or even represents us. Romans chapter 8 tells us that the Holy Spirit actually prays on our behalf. Have you ever been praying and you just didn't know how to pray? Now, the Bible talks about that. It talks about how the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf, utters groans. And you may be saying, well, is that like, ugh, 
not like literal groans, but it's an un, it, we just don't understand what it is. And, and, and that's part of this being an advocate, part of this being a helper. He was sent to be a helper. But his being a helper means a lot more than just groaning on our behalf or uttering prayers on our behalf. Specifically, in this scripture of the Gospel of John, Jesus gives us a couple of different understandings of what it means for, for the Holy Spirit to be a helper. And if we look back at chapter 16, verse 1, he says this, These things I've spoken to you, the things about the Holy Spirit specifically, that you should not be made to stumble. This helper was sent so that we would not stumble. Now, not physically stumble. It's not like we're, we're going to be walking along physically and the Holy Spirit will keep us from tripping because we're still going to physically trip. But this is talking about our spiritual walk, that we would not spiritually stumble in our walk with Christ. Not meaning that we won't sin with the Holy Spirit, but that with the help of the Holy Spirit, if we have Him acting on our behalf and acting as our representative and acting as our advocate, we are less likely to spiritually fall back, to spiritually go down that slippery slope of sin. He's talking about stumbling from discouragement, stumbling from hope, stumbling away from living by grace. If you consider verses 2 through 4, there are some extreme circumstances that Jesus tells them is going to happen. The first thing he tells them is that they're going to be thrown out of synagogues. That, that, that because of their message about Jesus Christ, that the religious leaders are going to throw them out of the synagogues. Now, nowadays, if someone is to be thrown out of the church, that church might actually get sued for you know, some sort of detriment of character or something like that. But back in these days, the religious oppression of the spiritual leaders was extreme. And they could not only just throw you out of the synagogue, but they could condemn you to death. Remember, Pilate crucified Jesus Christ because of the extreme pressure he got from the Jewish religious leaders. Now, it was, it was God's will for Jesus to be crucified, but it was his will to use the influence that the Jewish religious leaders had on the, on the government, especially the Roman government. And that's extremely interesting to think about, but that's the, the impact and the pressure and the influence that they had. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on to say that whoever kills you will think that they are offering a service to God. In other words, you may be witnessing on my behalf, guys, but there's coming a day when somebody's going to put you to death and they're thinking that they're doing me a great service. They're thinking that they're glorifying God the Father by putting you to death. You know, that's not just a, a first century reality. Uh, there's still people being put to death today for the name of Christ, and sometimes they're doing it in the name of their own religion. And in, and in Christianity, there, uh, there were people being put to death uh, as early as or as recent as the 16th century, and perhaps even closer than that. In the 16th century, there was something called the English Reformation going on. There was a lot of leaders in that English Reformation, and what they were doing was pushing back against the governmental recognized Catholic Church. And there were many that were put to death during this time. One of them was a guy named John Wycliffe. Maybe you've heard of that name. He's credited for heading up a group that, was, that, was in, that basically took responsibility for translating the first Bible into the English language. I don't know if you know this, 
The King James Version was not the first English Bible. It was not by the first English Bible by a long shot. In fact, the majority of the King James Version was based on the translation that John Wycliffe's group did, that he was put to death for, by the way. So understand this. John Wycliffe, because of his writings, because he also wrote about the authority of God's Word was over even the Pope, that got him in trouble with the government, and it was King James himself whose government, uh, government-mandated church put John Wycliffe to death. So they did it thinking they were doing this in the name of God. And here John Wycliffe is doing something that Jesus Christ, I have no doubt, wanted him to do. And that was putting the word of God in the hands of everyday people because he recognized the authority of God's word. I, I'm kind of going off on a tangent there. But here's, here's, the, here's, what, here's what this is important about. The Holy Spirit... He's not going to help us out of that situation. Jesus is, is telling us the Holy Spirit will be a helper in regards to comfort. He'll be with us during that time. He will keep us from stumbling away from the faith when we face persecution because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Because even though right now in 2018 we may not face some sort of great persecution like John Wycliffe or the apostles in the first century faced, there will be probably a time in the near future where Christians will face extreme persecution because of their standing up for the name of Jesus Christ. And what he's saying is the Holy Spirit is going to be a helper to keep you from stumbling away, to keep you from saying, oh, no, no, I wasn't really serious about that whole Jesus Christ thing. I don't know about you, but if I was facing persecution, if I was facing death itself because of the name of Christ, on my own strength, I would not be able to stand strong in the faith. I would need the help of God, and he sends that help in the form of the Holy Spirit. He also, here's what else he means by him being a helper. He is a helper by being a comforter. And this word helper and comforter, I told you it kind of interchanges there. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit a comforter in this passage. He also calls him the spirit of truth. Why is this comforting? Because he is called the spirit of truth, what this tells us is that the Holy Spirit is God himself. The Holy Spirit is fully God. He is not the lesser of the Father or the Son, nor is He some court of, of spoken creation of God. He is fully God. And His role as coming in, living within the believer, teaches us all truth because He is the source of all truth, because He is fully God. And apart from the Holy Spirit, no one can know the truth of God. It is a comfort to know this. God wants his people to know his word. And so what he does is he sends the spirit of truth, the one who inspired the very word of God to be written to live with inside you and me. Again, this word helper throughout the scripture in the Greek language, this word is used to refer to an advocate or, or counselor. I told you I would, we would get back to this. It also implies this idea of a tutor. Anybody ever had to go see a tutor when they were in school? I had to go to tutoring for some of my biology and chemistry was horrible when I was in high school. I just did not like chemistry. And so I had to go to tutoring almost all the time for chemistry. And what this essentially is saying is that God sends us a tutor to live within us. But he's not tutoring us about chemistry. <laughs> he's not tutoring us about English or algebra or, or geometry or anything else like that. He's tutoring us 
about His Word. Let me ask you, have you ever been reading through Scripture and you thought, I don't quite understand what that means? The Holy Spirit will enlighten us if we will seek Him out, if we will pray and say, God, I need your help with this. Or, or maybe it's like this. Have, have you ever been reading the Scripture and you're like, ooh, I like that. Boy, that's a great point, Lord. And so maybe you write it down, you write it on your heart, you apply it to your life, and you go on applying that to your life and, and living your life based on the truth that the Holy Spirit has just uh, spoken to you from God's Word. But then maybe a week goes by and you're sitting in church and the pastor gets up and he preaches that very same scripture and the pastor comes up with a completely different point that you hadn't even thought of. And it's not that you are wrong or he is wrong, but you're like, wow, that's a completely different way of thinking about it. That's wonderful. And so you write it down, you think about it, you pray about it, you apply it to your life and you go on with life. And then maybe five, six years go by. Then one day you hear a different pastor. He's like, hey, can you open up to the scripture? You're like, oh, I like that scripture. I already know what he's going to talk about. And he gives you a completely different application of that scripture. You're like, wow, that's great. And it's not that you were wrong or the previous pastor's wrong or this current pastor's wrong. It's all right. It all applies. And you write it down and you think about it, you pray about it, you apply it to your life and you go on with life. Or maybe, and this has happened to me, the pastor says open up the word of God and you start reading through it and he starts preaching it and you don't even pay attention because, man, God is speaking to you through, your, through his word and you come up with your own three-point sermon and you're like, maybe I should be the pastor. No. Hopefully you don't think that. But see, the Holy Spirit being a tutor to us in the Word, He wants us to know God's Word. He wants us to live in spite or in light of God's Word. He wants us to be changed by God's Word. And that is a beautiful, wonderful thing to me. Here's another way that, or another reason, or the second reason that God sends this gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is seen in, in verses 8 through 11 of chapter 16. He says three things, and it all sums up into this, is that the Holy Spirit is sent to convict the world. He is a gift from the Father to bring conviction. This is a reference, obviously, to the lost. They, they are not of Christ. They are of the world. It makes you ask the question, does the Lord talk to or interact with the lost? Well, if you're saved, then you should be able to answer that question, yes, absolutely. The mission of Jesus has not changed. He still is seeking and saving the lost. But now, He is not here on the earth doing it. It is being done through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so, praise the Lord, He sent the Holy Spirit to bring conviction on the lost of their need for Jesus as Lord and Savior. Jesus says the Helper will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. And then he gives us the following explanations. He says, first, of sin, because they do not believe. Talking about the world, talking about the lost. Notice it doesn't say sins, plural, but it says sin, singular. You see, there is a singular sin in mind here. There is only one unforgivable sin. It is the sin of unbelief in Jesus Christ. The sin of rejecting Jesus Christ as the only way of salvation and that sin will send someone to hell the holy spirit is actively involved in convicting the world of its need of salvation you know i really believe every person knows deep down and understands that they are lost and they are in need of a savior but they are living in some state of ignorance or rebellion sometimes it reminds me of a little kid that they're being told to do something and they're just sitting there going no 
see the Holy Spirit is there convicting them of that. And you may be trying to talk to them, and they're like, they're acting like they don't know what you're talking about, or they're acting like they don't really want to hear it. But I think deep down inside, they, they feel that conviction. When the, the Word of God tells us that's, that is the job of the Holy Spirit, because God loves the world so much, He is constantly calling the world to salvation. And part of that calling of salvation is sending the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin, that singular sin of being lost because of their unbelief in Jesus Christ. Next, he says, of righteousness, because I go to the Father and you see me no more. You see, while Jesus walked on earth, he was the perfect picture of righteousness. And his righteousness was the standard. And because the religious leaders were such hypocrites, because they would command the Israelites to do one thing but doing the opposite to themselves, they hated him. And so because of his righteousness, he was actually put to death. But because of his righteousness, we needed him put to death so that his righteousness would be applied to our lives. And what the Holy Spirit does is he goes and he convicts the lost that their righteousness does not measure up to the standard of righteousness that God expects and that he got out of only one person who lived on the earth, that was Jesus Christ. They will be convicted of righteousness because the standard of righteousness is no longer among them, and you see me no more. Finally, of judgment, because the ruler of this world, Satan, will be judged. The Holy Spirit brings conviction that judgment is coming, and coming on the ruler of this world, Satan. Well, why does he talk about him, though? Well, Satan is the ruler meaning that he has been given authority by God over the lost people in this world. And it's, again, it's not a title of authority that he has on his own. It is essentially a recognized moniker by God himself. And if you are lost, then your king, your ruler, is the ruler of the lost, and that is Satan. Now, that's not something I would go around posting on social media. Okay, don't go home tonight and say, if you're lost, your king is Satan. That's, that's not, that's not a, a, an evangelistic, evangelistic emphasis. But the reality is, is that you are either a follower of Christ, the king of kings, or you are not. And if you do not follow Christ, then you follow the ruler of this world, that is Satan. And if Satan's future is one of destruction and punishment, in hell forever and ever, then unfortunately that is what awaits his followers. His future is their future. Now some might say, but we didn't choose Satan. And the Holy Spirit would respond, by not choosing Christ, you automatically have chosen the opposite. And that is Satan. When you choose to ignore the conviction that you have no righteousness apart from Jesus Christ, when you choose to ignore the conviction over the sin of rejecting Jesus, when you choose to live life to your choosing and not to submit to your Maker and His Savior, His Son, Jesus Christ, then you choose Satan. Praise the Lord for the Holy Spirit who functions to convict the lost of the coming judgment. That is an act of mercy. That is an act of grace that He would send such conviction. Now you may be saying, but... Listen, I thought you said that this is talking about a gift that God sent to the believer. Two things. There was a time when you were not a believer. Praise the Lord, He sent that conviction on your life, that you saw your need for a Savior, right? That you saw your need to be saved from your sin. 
That's a, that's a gift from God. That's a gift of His grace that He would send that conviction on you. But second, this is a gift to the believer in this way. Listen, our job once we are saved is to go about witnessing to the world of their need for Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But we do not have this job on our own. Our job is not to go out convicting the world of their sin. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. Just think about the immense gift that we have been given because God wants us to go and be a witness for His name and for the way of salvation through Jesus Christ. And He says, you don't have to do it by yourself. I'm sending you the helper, the counselor, the comforter, the advocate, the tutor, so that you have Him. That He does all the work. I just, need, I just want you, I just want you to share your story. I just want you to share the gospel. What a wonderful gift. What a wonderful gift. The Holy Spirit indwells us, lives within us. The final idea of this gift from the Father is that He comes to glorify God. And this is an extremely poignant idea for us because in the Spirit's purpose to glorify God the Father, we see our purpose. Jesus says, throughout this scripture, that he came to only do the will of God, that he came to glorify God. But he also says that that's the Spirit's purpose, to glorify God. The Holy Spirit does nothing to bring glory upon himself, but instead he points to God the Son and God the Father. And what you really see is this harmony between the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ and God the Father, unity and submission to the will of God the Father. The Holy Spirit points to the Son, and and what verse 15 teaches us is that the Son only does what the Father gave Him to do. And so in revealing Jesus, the Holy Spirit also reveals the Father. And this brings glory to God. This unity, this function of submission for the sake of pointing man to Christ. And when we submit to God and do only what He gives us to do, we bring this same kind of glory to God. And see, what the Holy Spirit wants us to do is live that life that brings glory to God. And so we need that helper. We need that counselor. We need that advocate. We need that tutor that will tutor us along in what it looks like to live a life for the glory of God the Father. All right, so that's my sum up of this this whole God sent the Holy Spirit as a gift. Second point, very quickly. He's only sent to born-again Christians. Yes, he's sent to bring conviction on the lost world, but he is specifically a gift to live within the born-again Christian. Back there in chapter 14, Jesus makes this statement. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Now last week we talked about this word abide. And how we need to think about a house when we see that word abide. Some people will tell you it means to spend a lot of time. I think about an abode. That's another word for home. And and when we talk about Christ being in home in us, what he says is the Holy Spirit is coming to make his home in you. The Holy Spirit makes his home in Christians. But Jesus goes one step further to confirm this teaching because in verse 17 he says this, that the spirit of truth whom the world cannot 
receive. They cannot receive the Holy Spirit because they are literally not able. There are other scriptures that teach that the Holy Spirit, who is God, will not enter into something unclean. The Holy Spirit is not new. Again, the Holy Spirit was not created. He is inside of the the believer. And, And this perhaps is a new teaching because before this point, the Holy Spirit has just existed in, in time and in space and in reality and working with, with and among the people of God. But now, the Holy Spirit is going to be sent to live within the people of God. This is something He only does for the born-again believer. The one who confesses Jesus as Savior and Lord. Listen, whether you are five or ninety-five, If you are a born-again believer, the Spirit of God lives in you. Josiah, how old are you? The Holy Spirit lives in you because you're born again. Brother Don, how old are you? Ninety. And the Holy Spirit lives in you because you are a born-again believer. Every born-again believer. And in between those, yeah, if you're born again, Bill, then... The Holy Spirit lives within you. And this is a wonderful, great gift. Now, unfortunately, the church can sometimes have a distorted view of the Holy Spirit. We shy away from the Holy Spirit. It can be distorted from one of two directions. Either we're afraid of the Holy Spirit, we don't want to talk about the Holy Spirit, and we don't think about it or even want to mention the Holy Spirit. And I think this is because we've seen it misused so many times, And so instead of teaching about it correctly, we just try to avoid it altogether. That's the wrong direction. But the other direction is wrong too. And that direction looks like this. That every action of the Holy Spirit is some ecstatic emotional manifestation like healing or speaking in tongues or being slain in the Spirit. But that's not always the case. In fact, very few times in the Word of God is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit seen like that. You see, the Holy Spirit works in believers because they're believers, not because they're emotional, not because they're ecstatic, not because they have some sort of great spiritual gift. He is there because they are born-again believers because Jesus Christ sent him. The truth is, is that the Holy Spirit can work in the calm and quiet as much as he can work in the excitable, ecstatic moment. And we need to understand, and we need to base our understanding of the Holy Spirit not on feelings, not on tradition, not on fear, but on the Word of God. Again, there is no way we can sum up the whole of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's been about four years now, but I actually did a Sunday night series on the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and it took me four Sundays. There's no way to sum it up in one sermon. But we're just going through the Gospel of John right now, and this is what Jesus wants us to understand. He sends them to us for our benefit. He doesn't want us to live this life alone. He doesn't expect us to grow in our relationship with Him on our own. And what is so amazing to think about is this. The very same power that spoke the world into creation lives in you if you are a born-again believer. And we have access to that power 
any time, any day. He doesn't put up a close or out to lunch sign ever. Praise the Lord for that. Let's bow with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your word. Father, I pray that uh, you would just use this to inspire us to live in your power, to live accessing that great power and the great help that you have sent to live in us. And Lord, understand how that can be a powerful tool when we're witnessing to the lost. That can be a powerful tool when we're reading your word. That can be a powerful tool when we are facing persecution or troubles or trials. We don't have to worry about falling away if we will just live in the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for sending that gift to us. And it's in your name I pray this, Lord Jesus. Amen.